Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Formula One's inaugural Sakir Grand Prix took place today at the Bahrain International Circuit using the track's short but punishing outer loop layout. And what a race it was. George Russell outmuscled pulses of Valtteri Bottas into Turn 1 and dominated most of the race after scampering clear following an early safety car that was called for a lap one clash between Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez, which spun the racing point car and put the Ferrari out, the Red Bull's Max Verstappen also ending up in the barriers on the outside of Turn 4. The gap between Russell and Bottas fluctuated, but Russell seemed on course for victory entering the closing stages. But that all changed when the race's second virtual safety car became its second full safety car and Mercedes brought its cars, which were miles clear of the pack, into the pits. But a calamitous stop followed. Russell was sent out with a set of Bottas's tyres fitted to his car, and the Finn had to rejoin on the same hard tyres he'd been running when he came in. Russell therefore had to pit again the next lap, with Mercedes later fined for the incident. By this point, Perez was, remarkably, leading behind the safety car, having recovered amazingly well after being spun off by Leclerc. He'd been able to catch the pack during the first safety car and was executing yet another excellent one-stop performance when he was boosted up the order when the runners ahead of him, Carlos Sainz Jr., Daniel Ricciardo and Daniel Kvyat, pitted during the first VSC as part of their two-stop strategy. It looked as if Russell still had a shot at winning the race even after dropping to six when he put in another great pass on Bottas when the other Mercedes driver ran deep at turn four a few laps after the final restart and Russell then made light work of Lance Stroll and Esteban Ocon who had been following Perez behind the safety car also on one-stop strategies. But it wasn't to be for Russell. He'd just started to close in on Perez, who had shot off and was well clear of Ocon after just a few laps, when Mercedes detected a slow puncture on his left rear tyre and he had to pit for a fourth time. Although he recovered to score his maiden F1 points in ninth, this was a race he felt he lost twice. Perez ended up as the victor, overcome with emotion as he took in the magnitude of his achievement, which is taken with the spectre of a year on the F1 sidelines possibly looming for 2021. 
So joining me tonight to discuss all of that and more on Zoom are motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble and Autosport's F1 reporter Luke Smith. Now, John, coming to you first, after I've summed up that race, probably uh, taking quite a while to do so, how would you describe what you just saw uh, in Bahrain? Best race of the season, I think, by far. Um, I know everyone loved Monza and the unpredictable um, nature of Gasly's win there. Um, and it was a, that was a good race of drama. Um, you know, Lewis Hamilton and, and the pit stop uh, and then the close fight for the win and having a new winner. But to have a race where the guy who wins it looks like he's out at turn four, charges from the back, the drama of the you know Lewis Hamilton not being there, George Russell stepping in, the focus on him, all the points of the weekend where he could have messed up, which were endless, endless moments it could have gone wrong for George. And every step of the way, he was brilliant. Um, you know, brilliant in qualifying, nailed the start, everything under control, all kind of heading his way, the fairy tale win, and then it all all turns around in the way that only Formula One can do it. Um, as Mercedes make pr- probably their biggest single blunder they've made in um, F1 strategy calls or something. I don't think a team has turned a, a one-two into something like that um, very often. Um, so it's all all there. And, you know, while I'm gutted for George, you know, he, it's a weekend where he staked his claim for that 2022 F1 seat. He's proved his, proved he's ready for a top Formula 1 seat. He's proved he's a future race winner and world champion. Uh, and if he couldn't win it, I'm really, really happy that Sergio Perez did. Well, Luke, uh, do you agree with John? Was that the best race of the year for you? Yeah, I'd say so. When when John said that, I thought, mm, hang on, Monza. But no, it is true, I think. I think this one, I think Monza was, was hectic and crazy. And it was a very, very tense battle between Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz Jr. right the way through those closing stages. But I think this one was more, there were more twists and turns. It was more like a Game of Thrones season finale where you just don't know what's coming at you, basically. So it was it was really, really dramatic. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought that we saw some excellent displays. We saw George Russell really stepping up and just proving why he is such a star, not only for the future, but for now. Like He proved that he is capable of winning a Grand Prix right now. He's got what it takes but obviously wasn't to be. Definitely was dealt a hard lesson in, in Formula 1 fortunes today. But, I mean, brilliant for Sergio Perez. And again, I think he is, his display was absolutely fantastic. I think the way that he fought back from being last after being punted off at the at turn four by Charles Leclerc, I thought was incredible. And right the way through the race, even when he was sort of running fifth and then picked his way up to third, I was get, getting texts from a contact at a team saying, when did Perez get this good? Like, how's, how's he been performing this well this season? And I said, well, it's been like this most of the year, really. And he finally got his just desserts with that that brilliant victory. And yeah, seeing him up there on the top step of the podium, just drinking it all in with a Mexican national anthem playing with a flag draped over him. It meant a lot to him. So yeah, really, really wonderful race, I think, and has given us so many great storylines as well to, to get stuck into over the coming days. It certainly, it certainly has. And, and you know, obviously it's, it's taken something really unfortunate and really sad in, in Lewis Hamilton's absence for a positive COVID-19 test to produce that race because it was a race where the sort of the subplots in the in the championship in a way came to the fore because Russell was able to be to be put into that Mercedes and it it really did it really made the race even though for the vast majority of it I'm sure had it been Hamilton versus Bottas people might have been saying well this is a really dull race but the fact it was George Russell chasing possibly his first F1 win after a shock Mercedes call up just meant it was it was totally gripping I'm not sure yet whether I agree if that was the best race of the season not quite sure why I feel a bit like uh, Sergio Perez that hasn't really sunk in what happened perhaps um, but there we go. Anyway, let's let, let's uh, let's let's cover what happened at that pit stop. 
Luke, you were in the, the Zoom call with Toto Wolf, where he, we talked everything through. He used a, a very rude turn of phrase to describe it on TV as well. But um, yeah, what, what happened in that pit stop that cost, uh, cost Mercedes the race? So it was down to a radio miscommunication, a radio failure that they basically, George Russell's side of the garage missed the message informing him that, informing them of what tyres George needed to be on. So that caused confusion and meant that they came out unprepared with the wrong tyres and that ended up with Valtteri Bossas's tyres being fitted, the front two tyres being fitted to George Russell's car. By the time the penny dropped and Mercedes realised they didn't have the tyres to put onto Bossas's car when they were about to service Valtteri, George was already gone. He'd already gone out. The tyres that they needed were on the, the other Mercedes that was already speeding down the pit lane and rejoining the track. So by then it was already too late. In the end, they took the decision just to put on the tyres that Bottas had already been on. Uh, obviously, waiting a long time in the pits, that left the tyres very, very cold, very old already for the restart. He had a small brake fire as well, but didn't report any brake issues after that. And uh, yeah, it was basically down to a big miscommunication from Mercedes, a radio failure. And it, the sewers report, because of the resulting investigation, because you're not allowed to use another driver's tyres, obviously, uh, that noted uh, with plenty of mitigating circumstances to why George wasn't disqualified. And uh, yeah, explained that basically George had been talking to the team that had gone over another radio message where the team was internally informing his side of the garage what tyres he needed. And uh, yeah, just the communication broke down there. So definitely something Mercedes needs to learn from because ultimately that is what cost them the race win today, possibly a 1-2, and left them coming home with only a handful of points. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, that stewards uh, report and, and the reason why they were given a fine, uh, Luke, because the penalty for, for, for running Bottas's tyres could have been disqualification for Russell, which would have meant that he lost his first ever Formula One points. And I actually thought that having read the reasoning, there were some really sensible decisions taken there because he had sort of been punished enough. They noticed it would noticed noted, <clears throat> sorry, they noted it was similar to, you know, had he gone out of the mix set of say three mediums and a hard, he came in, they rectified it immediately. I just thought, you know, maybe if it was a Williams finishing 11th, there might've been some sort of protest, but you know, sanity seemed to win out in that. Um, but John, I mean, you, you mentioned the disastrous stop for Mercedes. You know, it's, it's got, got to go down as one of the team's worst blunders, you know, since it became, rejoined as a works team in, in 2010. How can something like that happen at a team at Mercedes that is so good on every tiny detail normally? Yeah, well, I'm sure there'll be a full investigation into, you know, what exactly what went wrong with that radio message. Um but teams, you know, they, they're military operations. Everything's everything's done brilliantly. Everything's prepared for. But sometimes circumstances turn around. If you recall, Daniel Ricciardo at Monaco in 16, um, he was on course for the win. Um, the Red Bull called him in to change tyres, made a very last second decision to go for a super soft rather than a soft, I think. And it just so happened because of the layout of the garage that some of the tyres are stored upstairs and some are downstairs. The tyres they selected were at the back of the garage. They took some more time to get out cost him 10 seconds and cost him the win there are some you know these practical reasons sometimes happen and it's also the you know the mistake they made by fitting Bottas's tyres to George's tyres also affected Valtteri it wasn't a, it wasn't a simple error of putting two of Russell's hard tyres on at the front and two two on the back because that would have they would have allowed then Valtteri to get the tyres he should have had so it was a tiny tiny error that just spun spiralled out of control and basically wrecked both drivers races because Valtteri was screwed by having to stick with his old hard tyres. George had to do the extra pit stop, which dropped him back. Uh, and then probably by, you know, having to charge through the field, overtaking people, he ran offline, 
picked up that cut in his rear tyre, got the puncture, and that that cost him the win for the second time. Yeah, it was just it, it was a race where you, you almost couldn't believe things were happening as they were unfolding. It was it was just it was it was remarkable to see. And as, as you said, John, it really did cost Bottas uh, after the safety car late in the race because having to had stay on those hard tyres, he was effectively defenceless. He later on described it as just a nightmare stint. There was nothing he could do to keep uh, what are normally much slower tyre. <clears throat> What are normally much slower cars compared to the Mercedes behind him, um, but Luke, I want to I want to ask you about George Russell's reaction again. We we both joined in his uh, his media session after the race, and it really struck me what a mature response it was from him in that session. Like he, the pain was 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 utterly clear, you know, to have lost a race in that incredible position. But you know, he's he's smart enough and wise enough to just be like, still, you know, I put in an incredible performance in. You know, in, in a car that this time last week, I you know was, I could only dream of driving. So, yeah, what did you make of, of his words after the race? I thought it was all very considered and very a very mature way to take such a, a crushing defeat. And it is a kind of heartbreak, I guess, he would never have had an F1 before. And he said in the TV pen after the race that he's had races slip away from him in his junior career, but nothing quite compares to this. And that's ultimately... that's what F1 is about it is the highest level you get to and if you're in sort of F2 or F3 and you lose a race you know next week there's probably going to be another opportunity you're all in the same car if you're a front runner you're looking pretty good but that's not the case in F1 it is that very few cars very few drivers have that opportunity and George has been handed this wonderful chance with Mercedes and did everything right like he maximised it as best he could he's not put a foot wrong all weekend and yeah, was naturally very, very gutted. And by the time that you and I spoke to him, obviously it's sort of been a couple of hours since the race finished. I think he'd sort of calmed down a little bit more and it was all very, it was very evident. Like he's still hurting and he'll, he will hurt probably for, for quite a while. I mean, unless he goes and wins next weekend in Abu Dhabi, if he's in the car again, this is going to probably be one that stings for a very long time. But he he was also very understanding and appreciative of the performance he put in. He said that he hopes that he's given Toto Wolff a problem because as he comes to sort of consider what Mercedes' future lineup will look like, George has now made the ultimate statement, I think, to say, I deserve to be in that car. I deserve to have that seat. And uh, I think he just, he enjoyed it. I asked him and said that, look, you've not been racing at the front of the pack. You've not lined up on a grid with just clear track in front of you since 2018, since you're in Formula 2. So, like if, if that brought an old flame back and he said that ultimately you always want to be fighting for the best position you can you always want to do the best job you can so whether it's for p1 or p12 you just you just want to perform but the stakes are so much higher when you're going for a victory and that is ultimately what they're all there to do and he got a taste today of why he became an f1 driver of everything he's worked towards throughout his life but it's also a taste of what is going to follow in two three four years time because i i'm so excited when we get to, if it's 2022 or a bit later, to see George Russell up there fighting at the front because this was a wonderful, wonderful look into what the future of F1 looks like today. And yeah, just awesome stuff from him. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that, Luke. And it's interesting, you know, Russell's come in and made a, a hell of a statement, a hell of a claim for a future Mercedes seat. But the flip side of that, we assume when Lewis Hamilton signs his new contract that it would be Valtteri Bottas that has to make way. And I just think Bottas' performance, yeah, he, he got pole and, and he did very well to get pole, but Russell wasn't very far behind him. And then right from the start, Russell, because uh, I can remember, I, I sort of, I thought about this and included it in my Friday 
feature piece for autosport.com you know the start was always going to be crucial because you had two drivers one that has had terrible starts this season in the mercedes one that's had them in the williams and also in his junior career george russell a bit of a reputation for not being very good at starts and russell said that was the thing he was most nervous about this weekend <laughs> mainly because um he he, he couldn't he, his hands were too big for the steering wheel paddles essentially for the, cl- the clutch paddles at the back so it was a tremendous uh, tremendous start russell really you know laid his cars on the table you, you know there was no there was no shying away from the move that he made at turn one and it, and it was absolutely brilliant. And from there, Bottas just, just looked ragged. He did have times in the race where he was where he was quicker and he was homing back in. But you, you'd, you'd sort of say that he does that against Lewis Hamilton occasionally. The gap sort of always fluctuates and then stabilises and then Bottas ends up losing on, on most occasions. Um, so, John, I, I wondered, you know, what do you think this has done to Bottas's reputation this, this, this weekend? Uh, I think externally it won't have done him any favours because, you know, the ideal thing for Valtteri would he rocks up, whacks it on pole by half a second from George, um, leads away lap one, disappears into the distance and dominates George to an extent that, um, you know, he doesn't over Lewis or Lewis doesn't do over him. But that didn't happen. Um, Pole, he got pole position, but he said his qualifying wasn't very good. So you can suspect that Lewis would have outqualified him on Saturday. And then in the race, um, yeah, I mean, we don't know how that would have panned out on that, that second stint because Valtteri was making progress against George. He'd cut, cut the gap from about eight and a half seconds down. They got in finger onto the fives um, by the time Jack crashed. So we don't know how that would have panned out and what shape the, the pair of their tyres were in. Um, we can only guess. But I think if you're now Valtteri Bottas, you will now know how serious a threat George is for a 2022 seat. And you will know that Basically, next year could well be your last chance to, you know, put put the issue beyond doubt that there won't be another season of finishing second, and being comprehensively beaten by Lewis, and getting another contract. You're going to have to have to win the championship next year, do something sensational to keep that seat, or you know full well that George Russell is coming knocking for 2022. And I think Valtteri as well was very understanding of that. He was asked sort of a couple of questions about like how is this perception from the outside going to be. And uh, he even used a word to describe himself that I had to check with Alex that I'd heard correctly. And I had oh, another It's one of my chat. favorite words. It really is. I won't Stu- repeat I'm it. sorry, Stuart Codling, who well, is here in spirit this weekend. He's had a very nice weekend watching some rugby and having a curry this evening, I believe. Mm. But yes, uh, anyway, Valtteri did use a word that um, I had to check with a couple of people, but he did say it and we won't repeat it on this podcast. But he, uh, he said that I could lo- look like a complete, mm-hmm, because I've basically had a new guy come in from the word go and just beat me and he says I understand why people from the outside it doesn't look good and I get that completely but he kept saying look from the inside people know what I can do people know the performance he said I could have given a good battle to George in those closing stages he said that he struggled a bit with the balance on the car through that opening stint on the mediums but when he moves onto the hards that he really came alive a lot more the car felt a lot more complete so he feels he would have cut the gap and he said there was a long race and a long way to go and he kind of he kind of dodged some of the questions about where he actually finished George and like how that comparison was with the kind of saying, well, you didn't see the end of the race. Like we never know if Valtteri would have actually caught George or not, which I think is uh, technically yes, true, but I think it is very, yeah, it's still not a position he should have been in from the first place. Like he should have beaten George hands down this weekend. He's been in that car so much longer. He's been good this season, but I think he's just, yeah, was just very off boil this weekend. And, and, and another tribute to Stuart Codling as well. Alex, I'm very interested to see what exactly you give him in the driver ratings because I can't imagine it's going to be very high. 
It's not, well, I mean, it's, it's not like disastrously high. It wasn't a Sebastian Vettel race. Let's face it, sorry, that might, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit harsh, but let's face it, Vettel was completely anonymous and failed to make it into Q3. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move on. We'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about a bit of speculation about Mercedes lineup for the final race of the season next weekend. But I obviously want to talk about Sergio Perez. I mean, like you say, John, I mean, at one point I was like, you know, how has he got back? How has he got back? Because... Yeah, he was, he was very much helped by the, the fact that the safety car stayed out quite a while recovering Leclerc and Verstappen's, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the wrecked cars after that incident. And that, you know, did allow him to catch back up. But then he did what he typically does. He just did a one-stop race, executed it brilliantly. When the two-stoppers came in, sort of taking advantage a bit of the VSC, he was able to rise to the front. But, John, what did you think of his final stint? Because he was gone. He dropped Ocon. He won by over 10 seconds. And he, he, he's adamant that he could have held off Russell no matter what at the end of the race. Yeah, you get you get these races sometimes where you just know somebody is destined to win it. And today was basically Sergio Perez because I, I can't recall a race where someone has been tagged on the first lap, looks to be out and gone and finished, and then charges through in this modern era and comes through and wins it. And sure, there was a bit of luck with a um, safe Jack Aitken safety car and the Mercedes blunder because it wouldn't have happened without it. But even so, you know, final safety car period, he nailed the restart. Um, pulled clear um, and dropped the DRS train train behind him. And although George, you know, had got up to second and was just nudging that gap down a little bit, it didn't seem to be enough of a enough of a rate um, to think that George would have gone on to win it if he hadn't had the puncture. So, I mean, Sergio's been on it now for six, seven races. He's just been utterly brilliant. Should have been on the podium in Imola. He should have been on the podium last weekend in Bahrain, where were it not for the engine failure. He won this race this weekend. Um, if you're Red Bull now, I really struggle to think how you can seriously justify if you want to go for the World Championship next year and have someone backing up Max, supporting him, disrupting Mercedes' strategy options, being a thorn in their side, scoring on the days where Max doesn't score. I can't see how you can ignore Sergio Perez. Yeah, it was interesting uh, in the press conference, Perez referenced that Imola race when it when it came to the sort of the, the safety car, because obviously they, they brought him in then and gave up track position that he never got back. And I think the, the, the feeling very much was like, well, we're not doing that again. We'll stay out and uh, we'll keep going to the end. And it was just a, a brilliant performance in the final stint. As you say, John, it did look, you know, once Russell got back into second, was the was the catch on? And it just wasn't coming down very quickly. I think it would have been absolutely very close at the end of the race without that puncture. But yeah, Luke, I mean, the, the speculation now is just going to be is just going to be full on even more about what happens to Perez next year and whether he gets that Red Bull drive. He said in the press conference that he's at peace with whatever happens. You, do, you, do you get the sense that by winning that race, he's he's at least ticked a box that even if he even if he doesn't come back to F1, he can call himself a, an F1 winner? Yeah, completely. And that was probably my first thought after the race, that it's quite a, if it were to be the end of Sergio Perez's career, which I, I highly doubt it will be, he's already said that he's got options to come back in 2022 if he's not on the grid next year. But if that were to be the way he went out, it's actually, that's pretty cool. I kind of think about Gerhard Berger in um, 1997, I think it was, when his final season, I think he won his, like, his third to last race or something. And that's just a really nice way to like sign off and, and close your, your life in F1. And I think that, yeah, it's a similar thing for Checo, that all these years he's been a nearly man. He obviously made a great start to life with Sauber. 2012 was amazing. 2013 with McLaren, that really like was a big, big hit for him. And then kind of rebuilt himself up with racing, well, with Force India, with what then became Racing Point. And 
he's just always been there. But this year he's just been on a whole other level. Like, he's been fantastic. And to scoop up a Grand Prix victory, it, it was remarkable. And he said after the race that it was a race one really on merit. And as fortunate as it, as it was, someone had to be there to pick up the pieces when Mercedes dropped the ball. And normally that is Max Verstappen. It's in the past been Ferrari. But this season it's so it's so open that once you eliminate Verstappen, that Perez is he's the man who could do that and it was yeah a really remarkable win from him today and I think that as you say it's just so hard to think that Red Bull can look at that and go now we want the guy who was like qualified 12th and finished 6th only after three quicker cars were eliminated like I don't I don't really understand how how that can be their thinking unless they are just so they are so reluctant to waver from their own policy of we have Red Bull Juniors and Red Bull Juniors only because that ultimately is going to be at the detriment of the team. And if you have a race where Max Verstappen's out and two Mercedes are out, Red Bull, who are by far the quickest, who are by far the second quickest team, they should be, that second car should be picking it up. But Alex Albon didn't even get close to that lead fight today. So it's, yeah, it's just really hard to see how Red Bull are going to ignore that. But I, I like that Checo is so chilled out about all of this, that he kind of knows if he doesn't get that seat for next year, it won't be because he's not performed well enough. He's literally won a freaking Grand Prix in a racing point car. Like, he can't do anything more than that. So, yeah, I think it's it's good to see him so at peace with things. I think if he doesn't get a seat, he can have a nice year, sort of spending time with his family, just relaxing a little bit and taking stock of things. But he'll be high up on a lot of shortlists come 2022 because he's proven this year why he's one of the best out there, I think. Indeed. Well, a bit of a shame that Christian Horner again didn't speak to the media after the race. I'm sure he would have got uh, one or two very interesting questions. It's um, not but like John, he didn't I wanted... know where to go either. <laughs> interesting. That. No, well, one of our colleagues in the media centre has been banging on about how everybody gets to Abu Dhabi on charter planes tomorrow, as if that's interesting. But, uh, but anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure. That, that's my future. That basically, that on once tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, and, and I can live it where after I've eventually done uh, all the mountain of work I've got to do after we record this podcast. But um, John, I wanted to ask you about the win for the Racing Point team. It's it's you know it's got a long and storied history in in F1, and the driver that helped save the team is just taking a victory. But it's transitioning into Aston Martin next year. There was an amazing shot of uh, Otmar Zaffnauer smiling uh, in the closing stages with his with his drivers, you know, in the podium places. And this comes a week after they lost a short, a short, a nailed on podium because of an engine problem, and the other car was flipped upside upside down. So, w- what does this victory mean to this team? I saw a great tweet from um, ex Autosport editor Ian Phillips tonight, who um, was a, a senior commercial. Um, person at the Jordan team, which was, you know, the original incarnation of Racing Point. And it went great to see Jordan finish 1-3 and Tolman finish second. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's been a great journey for Racing Point. Two years ago, you know, team on its knees was about to go bust, um, you know, going to liquidation. It was saved from the brink by Lawrence Stroll. And I think even at that point, you could never have imagined kind of the, the step forward it would take. Sure, it's been controversial, um, the decision to you know, take inspiration from last year's Mercedes design, use some of the Mercedes design itself, which the FI found um, in the brake ducts, um, has caused a bit of a bit of a row, and it's been a talking point all season. But they've had the third quickest car all season. There's been some driver errors. There's been some mechanical problems. There's been some strategy errors, um, which means they've not nailed that third place to the extent that they perhaps could have done. Um, but it's progress. And I think if you were Sebastian Vessel, you'd be fairly happy with how things are going with that team. 
um, this year. And if you're Sergio Perez, I think it would just slightly add to the annoyance that, um, you know, you're the person that saved this team in the future. It was his decision to put it into administration that saved it, basically. So he was instrumental in rescuing it. He's delivered his all. He's delivering to his best. He's delivered it the win. Uh, and he's the one who's had to make way for, for someone um, who today didn't really feature at all in the race. Absolutely, yeah. As, as I said, Vettel were pretty anonymous. I think there was a slow pit stop at one point for the Ferrari driver, uh, but there we go. Um, Luke, let's let's end because this uh, is, is getting quite late here in Bahrain. So, whether you're only getting the hits of the Sakia Grand Prix and the big headline uh, talking points, let's end. You know, looking forward to Abu Dhabi and and the Mercedes situation again. What is the latest on whether Lewis Hamilton will be back or whether George Russell will continue? It really just all depends on the next couple of days, really, and how Lewis recovers. We heard a couple of days ago, Toto Wolf said that Lewis was not feeling great, hinted that he was just stuck in bed, basically, and wasn't asymptomatic as a lot of people have been with COVID-19, so he was suffering quite a bit. But it really just does depend on whether he can return those negative tests, whether he can feel well enough, whether then they can get around the sort of logistical challenges let's say of getting into Abu Dhabi getting onto Yas Island and for this lockdown for the race weekend but the sort of bottom line is that if Lewis Hamilton is fit to race he will race but the feeling is and I think it has been for a while now ever since the positive diagnosis was confirmed that just because of the timing and because of everything else it would be a real challenge to get Lewis in the car for the season finale so We'll we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, we do wish Lewis a very speedy recovery. And if we can see him back in Abu Dhabi, that would be wonderful. A sort of a, a swan song for the world champion with the world's with the fastest car in Formula 1 history. But if not, then we get to see George Russell have another bite of the cherry in that Mercedes W11, which I think is going to be really, really cool. And I think that it'll be interesting to see how much more comfortable he can get, whether Mercedes can get on top of things like his paddles on the back of the steering wheel, like his seat, and just these little things that weren't quite 100% right this weekend, whether some of that could be rectified in time for Abu Dhabi and how much better that could make him. But I think we'll go into next weekend without any of the question marks of can George fight Valtteri? Can he fight for a win? Knowing full well that he absolutely can and will. And I think that would make for a really exciting season finale with or without Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I think there are there are two big hurdles for, for Hamilton to clear. Obviously, it's his recovery from COVID nineteen, which we hope is going as well as it possibly can. But as we sort of alluded to, Luke, there is a it is really tough to get into Abu Dhabi at the moment. I think I don't think they're really taking any normal visitors coming in without a, a mandatory and really strict, like literally strapping a GPS uh, tracker to people to make sure they're not they're leaving their quarantine. Which some people would say is is, a, is, is draconian, but it, it works or whatever. But anyway, whatever. I'm, I'm going well off the topic. But the point is, is that if Lewis Hamilton can't travel with the rest of the of the paddock on, on those charter flights tomorrow, there's a big question mark about whether he'd be allowed in. I mean, you could imagine an exemption being granted, but it's not necessarily a given. So. It's definitely well within the realm of possibility that, that he won't be racing in Abu Dhabi. Um, and, and John, do you think that, that, that would, it would be more of the same? It would boil down to a fight between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas? I think, yeah. I think the, think the battle would be between them. But I would suspect, I think Abu Dhabi could be a slightly different prospect for George because it's you know much more technical track. You know, we've had a, a Sakir Grand Prix, which was in effect four corners. Um, and both came in, came at it with a level playing field, um, whereas Abu Dhabi, lot technical, longer track. Um, I think it'd be much harder to find, push and find and exploit the limits of the car in those circumstances. And George will also be going into it with a lot more expectation on his shoulders. He's gone from 
being someone as Luke said to you know can he do it to yes he can do it and now he has to do it um so so there'll be increased focus and um you know if he qualifies if he does do the race and qualifies three temps slower than Valtteri people will say oh Sakir was just a one-off he's this has happened if he makes a poor start in Abu Dhabi these things will all come up that he just fluked it in Sakir so the pressure the pressure doesn't get any easier the pressure doesn't ease off even when you've done well it will be just as intense uh, perhaps more focus on him more the need for him to impress even more um, so I don't think it would be a cruise after what we've seen this weekend Oh, there'll be a lot to keep an eye on. Who would have thought that after Lewis Hamilton won in Turkey three races before the end of the season? Uh, but anyway, like I said, guys, we're going to have to wrap things up there. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast tonight. Thanks for everybody listening along. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis, and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This year is your year, even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash, Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.